The following intro is rated G. Hey, listeners, are you all ready to learn? Are you all ready to laugh? Are you all ready to learn that the film rating system is antiquated? Stay tuned to hear about the history of the movie rating system on This Was a Thing. The following intro is rated PG-13. Rob and Ray are two podcasters that are just so tired, they keep diving deeper and deeper into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. But when they come across the old fart known as the movie rating system, suddenly Rob and Ray are ready for an adventure. The movie rating system on this was a thing. The following intro is rated R. It's about to go down. Rob and Ray are about to kick the MPAA's ass. That's right. Those two f***ers are going to make you go f*** those people that are rating these movies. The f***ing movie rating system on this was a thing. S*** about to go down. The following intros rated X due to full penetration. Yeah, fuck. Give me that. This was a thing. The retro podcast. Yeah. You want this bonus episode? Yeah, baby. Well, then you have to subscribe to Patreon. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, what level? Old Lucy level or higher? Ah. Uh, Five dollars or more a month gets you way more than even two months. <laughs> Play the music. <laughs> And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are taking a deep dive into the MPAA. M for Mary, P for Peter, A for anybody heard from Mary, A for anybody here from Peter. That's the MPAA, folks. I'll be honest. I've seen those four letters together a lot my whole (laughs) life. I never even once thought that could be what it is. Yeah, it stands actually for the Motion Picture Association of America, and it is the committee that rates all the films that are released here in the United States, they are the ones that say this is an R, a PG-13. And, well, they can, actually, X is something I learned about. Or just meh. Or just, <laughs> Okay, friends, so I'm going to be honest with you. This is an episode that I thought would be very, like, cut and dry. And I have found like this- Like leather. Like leather. I have found the research on this thing to be absolutely fascinating. And I'm going to recommend a documentary to you that- Covered a lot of this stuff. We're going to go a little bit more in depth with the history of it. Supersize me, Morgan Spurlock. No, man. The documentary is called The Fog of War. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the documentary is uh, by a gentleman named Kirby Dick, and it's called This Film Has Not Yet Been Rated. 
and he covers a lot of this stuff, uh, but he doesn't really talk so much about the history of censorship. That's something that we're going to look at today. It's a thing for us because it has become uh, an unquestioned, this organization, in my opinion, an unquestioned, unchecked form of censorship in a country that prides itself on the freedom of speech. You cannot get a movie in a studio, in, in a movie theater, if this MPAA has not granted you a rating. In fact, you know what, Ray? Why don't we start off right now with just a quick review of how the uh, actual rating system works? Friends, here's a little review from This Film Is Not Yet Rated on the rating system. What do movie ratings mean? G means general audiences. No nudity, no sex, and no drugs. Violence must be cartoonish and minimal. And there may be language that goes beyond polite conversation. PG means parental guidance. There may be strong language, like shit or ass. And brief nudity, like showing off an ass. Or light violence, like getting kicked in the ass. PG-13. Parents are strongly cautioned, as in, look out, mom, here come more shits. Bullshit, dumb shit, little shit, shit-faced, and shithead. Fuck is also allowed, but usually just once, so filmmakers are urged to choose their fuck carefully. A simple fuck you is okay, but referring to the sexual act as in, may I please fuck you, or I enjoy getting fucked, is totally unacceptable. If a character says that, especially while abusing an illegal narcotic, the film is rated R. R means restricted. No children 17 or under without parent or guardian. There may be sexual themes, frank sex talk, sexualized nudity, tough language, and tough violence, like a thousand handicapped orphans decimated by a hail of gunfire. But if the film depicts realistic baby-making in a position other than missionary, acts involving oral sex with females, anal sex, fetishes, more than two humans, or what the MPAA deems aberrational behavior, that film could get slapped with an NC-17. NC-17 means no children 17 or under, period. An NC-17 may range from a senior citizen gangbang to a foreign Pedro Almodovar film. But art films make people feel funny, especially the ones with aberrational behavior. So that is from the wonderful film. This film is not yet rated, which is the trailer. So we're going to look at the history of censorship a little bit. And we're specifically focusing on artistic censorship. We're not talking about the censorship of blatant thought, like what happened to Socrates back in ancient Greece, or those that are against you know religious ideas like the Inquisition. We're talking about it artistically. The first place we're going to see censorship in art, of course, is the visual arts and the art of painting. And I think one of the greatest examples of that are some of the, um, the frescoes and murals that Michelangelo painted on the ceilings of the Sistine Chapel, a lot of them were uh, not clothed, and that disturbed a lot of people. So later on, people actually went up onto the ceiling and painted clothes over the nude figures because they, they, were, they were a little offended. No, I think that one needs a jean jacket. No, <laughs> no, that one. No, 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 no. Jean jacket does not work with that one's hair. <laughs> Oh, my God. Now, the next uh, painter that we're going to take a look at is Manet. Um, and he got into a lot of trouble because- Hey, Manet. Hey, Manet. <laughs> Manet Exchange. And he painted a, a beautiful painting called Olympia. I'm, I'm showing it to you right now, and you can't see it. Just go along with me. Wow. Uh, yeah. How did you get that in here? Well, <laughs> I stole it. And the issue that they ran into with Olympia is that uh, she was a woman lying naked, but she looked too realistic for a nude. 
and that she wasn't like abstract, she, not abstract, but she was, you know, her, her proportions actually looked somewhat human. Wait, did he put pockmarks on her? Yeah, he, he, well, he, he did really good. Realistic. He did. He did really good. So that's a little bit of artistic censorship. Now, you might ask yourself, what is the problem? And the problem, it seems to me, is what offends you doesn't necessarily offend this person. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes, what is censorship? And I think what we're looking at here is this idea, the general idea or the general excuse that I think goes out to people is this idea that I am stopping the artistic work from being seen for the protection of the health of the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that and then that and then we go into, you know, moral compass and yeah. Yes. The question then becomes, well, what what exact who know, who is the one that gets to say this is good for the mental health of a community? The Pope. The Pope. Wow. It's interesting that you say that because we're going to talk about the Catholic Church in a little bit. Oh boy. Before movies, of course, there were plays. There were plays. And there was censorship over in England, where most of the plays were coming out of in the 1500s. And in the 1570s, Queen Elizabeth I had a committee known as the Master of the Revels. Now, what the Master of the Revels did was they looked at every single play that was being produced in London. London and made very clear there can be no blasphemy, so no God damn it, no nothing against God, and nothing can be against the queen or the government. The big thing, though, that emerges in England, so so once again, 1500s, things are going on. The plague then happens. The theaters close down, so the, sp- the plague isn't spread. And the plague plague happens. And the plague plague happens. Um, and then we're going to jump, folks, to 1737 in London, and we're going to take a look at what's known as the Licensing Act of 1737. And what that was, was um, it was a bureau that censored what plays were saying about the British government. And in order to get your play on, it had to be licensed. It had to be approved. That meant there was a committee, the Lord Chamberlain's men, that would read every single play that wanted to be produced. You come to me with a play, Ray. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. Here's your license to perform it. Now, if you come to me with a play that's offensive, I will not give you a license to perform it, which meant that a lot of people were doing plays in secret. So people would like do plays up in bar. There were a lot of salon plays where people would like hide in a salon together and do the play secretly because they would get in trouble. Ray, this licensing act goes from 1737 to 1968. Oh my God. So from 1737, this is in London, from 1737 to 1968, if you were producing a play in London, it had to be approved by the Lord Chamberlain's men. So 1968, the Theater Act of 1968 comes in, and what that says is over in London, we're dismantling this idea. Listen, produce whatever you want. It doesn't matter anymore. No one's going to have to read it and approve it. What causes that to happen, what causes the British government to be like, we got to kind of relax on this, is what's known in uh, theater history as the angry young man plays. There were a bunch of plays in the 1950s about angry young British people, playwrights like John Osborne, plays like Look Back in Anger, pretty obvious there, just Look Back in Anger. Uh, Look, look, see it? (laughs) See it? It's right behind me. Okay, be happy now. But about like middle class, low class, people that felt you know alienated from society, four-letter words being used. And so at that point, those plays were so successful it was kind of weakening 
um, the government's stance on it. So the government's like, we're just going to get rid of it. I'm bringing that up because it's going to play a part later on for us with how the rating system is going to evolve. The angry young man plays. So now, folks, we're going to get in our time machine. We're jumping back to Hollywood. And the earliest form of censorship in Hollywood, Hollywood land, I should say, um, is a 1894 movie, uh, which I'm sure you've seen. And the movie is called Carmen Sita. Oh, yeah, 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 Carmen Sita. Great, Ray, tell us the plot of Carmen Sita. Oh, boy. Um, well, uh, uh, you know, you got your your uh, ingenue Carmen Sita. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's more of like a visual thing. You got to yeah. see it. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. So, folks, go take a look at Carmen Sita. You can rent it on Netflix uh, or, or stream it. Now, this is going to be really interesting, I think, for the United States, because remember that what is the First Amendment of the United States? The uh, the idea that you uh, have... Right, open carry. Okay, we'll cut to that later. Um, freedom of speech. Oh. So if, I, if I'm being guaranteed that one of my biggest liberties is the idea that I can say whatever I want whenever I want, how is censorship going to play a part in all this? And this is going to be the first big issue for us. Do you know why Carmen Sita was uh, censored and why it was considered controversial? Was it based on Carmen? Yes, the, I believe it the, was. The yes, I opera. believe it was. I feel like that is like about like a lust. Yeah, you know what the issue was? There was a woman in it, and she danced. <laughs> and the of fact course. that she was dancing, and I—if you look at the clip, she's literally dressed from head to toe. But she's twerking. But she's twerking yeah. on on uh, George Lumiere's face, the inventor of film. So once 1894 with Carmen Sita, then a couple of the other states are now going to start to dip their toe in the world of censorship. So, for example, Maine, the state of Maine in 1897 said, you cannot show any films of boxing events because that's too violent. So we can't show that. Now, not not like Boxing Day in Canada. Like, okay. This is like pay-per-view. Got it. <laughs> like, you can't have it. Now, this is where it's going to get dangerous. Oh, I love danger. In 1907, the United States created its first censorship ordinance in what city? What city was like, we're going to create censorship. It's an office for censorship. Sioux Falls. Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and here's what happens. Chi-town, my town. In Chicago, Illinois. Are you ready for this? The police chief of Chicago, Illinois, had to watch every single movie that wanted to be played in Chicago. He had to sign off on it. If he didn't feel it was appropriate for the Chicago community, he did not sign off on it. Therefore, the movie was not seen in Chicago. When Chicago launches this idea, other states then jump on the bandwagon and they go, oh, this is great. Because remember, there's the temperance movement going on. The church is very powerful at this time. There's so many things about this idea of morality that's going on. So all these other states are going, oh, look what they're doing in Chicago. This kind of makes sense. And it's going to keep everybody pure of thought, right? And by maybe within 10 years or so, at least there's 100 different um, censorship offices of course. or censorship boards all across the United States. Now, you might ask yourself, why is this not illegal? Why is this not illegal? What a great question. Well, in 1915, the U.S. Supreme Court determined that motion pictures were purely commerce. They were business and they weren't an art. So they're not covered by the First Amendment because it's commerce. That meant that local, state, and city censorship boards, literally, there is no constitutional barrier for them to uh, ban a film or edit a film. 
So if the chief of police is sitting there and goes, oh, the movie's pretty good, except for like these five minutes, which I find controversial, just cut that reel out. These five minutes that I feel just drag in the middle part of the second. You know, a- I feel like it's just one of those things where the third act really could have just, you know, they didn't need that character introduction. <laughs> Now it's the 1920s, right? So the Supreme Court has said, yeah, do whatever you want. It's commerce. It's not art. So it's not, it doesn't classify under the First Amendment. Prohibition's happening. There's a swell in morality. So countless cities and states are now setting up their own censorship offices, and the studios get worried. Why? Because if New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, any of these areas with large movie yeah. theaters, and they say you can't play your movie here, guess what you've just lost? Tons of revenue. So- Hollywood is shitting bricks and they're like, what are we going to do about this? When all of a sudden the shit hits the fan even more for them. Oh boy. Because if Hollywood's getting this idea of, oh, it's kind of immoral and it's kind of, you know, it's got, it's got these movies that aren't really fan, you know, for families and they kind of go against God. You did an episode on this individual. The first big Hollywood scandal breaks. I just want to make, don't use the term breaks. Cause that's, but uh, Roscoe Arbuckle. Why can't I say breaks? Well, because you know, his, uh, his nickname was Fatty and Them's the Breaks. <laughs> so, Ray, should we all go back and listen to your Fatty Bar- Arbuckle episode? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you, can you hold on a sec? Yeah. Pull it up. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Three trials? Yeah. So, friends, if you remember, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle was uh, arrested for the sexual assault and murder of a woman. There were tons of trials, but all this really did was underline the um, general public's conception that Hollywood is just a hotbed of, of, an, of iniquity. And now it just smells like urine everywhere you go. It, it really is true. Now, the studios literally could see the writing on the wall, and they were like, holy shit, the federal government, they're going to come in, and they're going to create regulations. They literally now have the power to create regulations of what we can do and where it can be seen. So... They decided we're going to get ahead of it. So in 1922, all the studio heads, literally all of them in tandem. And their bodies. And their bodies. um, Created the Motion Picture Producers and and Distributors Association. Also a pretentious acapella group. Yeah. (laughs) And this is going to be an industry trade and lobby organization. This was all the studio heads. Remember, now the studios are... It's interesting. The studios are in competition with each other, but actually work very well together. And don't forget also, friends, at this time, a lot of the studios were also their own distributors. Mm -hmm. So not only are the studios going to get screwed over, their distribution as well. So this is all in everyone's best interest. But what they want to say then to the, the the rest of America, the general public is, listen, don't police us. We're policing ourselves. You see, we have a whole committee here. But they needed somebody to run it. They needed somebody that the public would go, oh, okay, I really trust this person, and this person has the best interests in heart. And they picked a guy by the name of Will Hayes. What made Will Hayes qualified to run this organization? Well, a couple of things. Will Hayes was, uh, he ran a very successful campaign for Warren Harding to uh, to be president in 1920. Oh. He was the postmaster general for Warren Harding. And you didn't even have to serve in the military for no, that. No, yeah, isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> salute with your stamps. Yeah. Um, salute with an envelope. Salute with an envelope. Ow! <laughs> Cut my eye again. <laughs> and he was very well connected in DC, which meant he was going to be a great lobbyist for the film industry. So they approach him 
uh, the MP, the now called the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors Association, they approach him and they're like, listen, we want you to move from Washington. We want you to come here. We want you to run this office. We want you to show the world that everything's going to be okay. He was also a Presbyterian deacon, and he was also the past chairman of the Republican Party. They offered him a salary of $35,000, wow. which today would be five seventy, dollars wow. $570,000. Hayes had a couple of objectives that he had to like get done immediately in 1922. One, he had to clean up the image that everyone was thinking of Hollywood. Literally, when you thought of Hollywood at this time, you thought of Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. You thought of the sin and the horrid and the evil that was coming out of this, this one town. He had to also persuade individual state censor boards, don't ban specific films outright. Look, if it's full penetration, maybe. <laughs> ah. One of the other things that I think that's important to note is if uh, a state's board would censor a film or edit a film, the studio was the one that had to pay for the edits. God, so it. they're accruing all these costs. So what? He, so Hayes was smart, and he said, "Listen, instead of them doing it, let's just do it ourselves. Like, he, let me give you some do's and some don'ts, right? Okay. So, so that way, when you're creating a film, it's going to save us some time and money on down the line." He said, here are the industry standards, and the standards were kind of kept secret from everybody. So everyone's, see, everyone's like standards could change, they could morph, there was a lot of latitude there. And what it did was it started to quiet down um, the calls for uh, federal censorship because he was he was said, listen, we're doing it ourselves, here's what it's going to be. Now, believe it or not, a lot of filmmakers were like, this is censorship, like this is absolutely this is this. This could easily lead to government censorship. Oh, I believe it. Guess who did not believe that this that this was a good idea? The Catholic Church, because they said this is going against freedom of expression, and religion is also part of expression. So they're also getting nervous. So they say, though, we like the idea that Hayes has of self censorship. So the government shouldn't be censoring these people. You should be censoring yourself. So there was a guy by the name of Father Daniel Lord, and he went to his cardinal. Daniel Lord. Daniel Lord. And he went to his cardinal. His stage name. And he said, there's another Daniel Lord in the rostry. I'll be honest. Catholics probably wouldn't respond well to the last name Leibowitz. <laughs> so I'm going Lord. And he said to his cardinal, may I. Not the bird. Not the bird. May I write a list of rules that should be adhered to by the studios when making a picture. And the cardinal said, absolutely. And, it sounds like this setup for a joke. <laughs> and so da Father Daniel Lord went to Will Hayes and said, here is a list of things that we as the Catholic Church think is appropriate. And this is what you should be governing the studios by. I'd love to see that list. Now, oh, well, I'm going to read it to you, pal. So Will Hayes. And this is the guy from Will and Grace? Eric McCormick. Uh, Sean Hayes. <laughs> Uh, that's I would that now you see that's what I want to say. So Will Hayes looks at this list and he goes, "Oh my God, this is exactly what I've been looking for." So here, here we go, my friends. So this is I'm going to read this as fast as I possibly can. There is three general principles okay. that gets settled up first. So here's the number one: No picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of crime wrongdoing, evil, or sin. So then the question then becomes is, well, what, what, are, the moral, what are moral standards? Mm -hmm. Who sets those? Number two, correct standards of life 
subject only to the requirements of drama and entertainment shall be presented. What is, a, what is your definition of a correct standard of life? Number three, yeah. law, natural law or human law, shall not be ridiculed, nor shall sympathy be created for its violation. Mm-hmm. Don't pr- don't show me yeah. a murderer in a positive light. Yeah, and okay. Don't show me that this guy stole. So it seems as if the popular trope of the anti-hero nowadays would not have passed. No. Oh, God, no. So many television movies right now break all of yeah. these laws because that makes a more fascinating yeah. character. Nothing says showing your patriotism like supporting self-funded podcasts. Especially those hosted by two white men. It's the American dream, right? Yes, the American dream of not achieving your goals, so you head to the world of podcasting. And let's keep the dream alive for John Hancock. How does one do that? Well, revolutionaries, head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue defending America from foreign podcasters. Okay, can I shoot some fireworks into the night sky now? It's daytime, Rob. Plus, they're illegal. Don't tread on me. Read the hat. Those are the general principles that guide. Okay. Here are the tiny specifics that are in all of them. Okay, here we go. Nudity and suggestive dance, prohibited. The ridicule of religion, forbidden. Ministers of religion, not to be represented as comic characters or villains. The depiction of illegal drug use, forbidden, as well as the use of liquor when not required by the plot or for proper characterization. What the fuck does that mean? Methods of crime were not to be explicitly presented. References to sex perversions, such as homosexuality and venereal disease, were forbidden, as were depictions of childbirth. The language section banned and various words and phrases that were considered to be offensive. Murder scenes had to be filmed in a way that would discourage imitations in real life. Revenge in modern times would not uh, not not to be justified. The sanctity of marriage in the home had to be upheld. Pictures should not interfere with that low forms of sex relationship are the accepted or common thing. Adultery and illicit sex, although recognized as sometimes necessary to the plot, could not be explicit or justified and were not supposed to be presented as an attractive option. No miscegenation. Scenes of passions were not to be introduced unless uh, important to the part. Excessive and lustful kissing has to be avoided. The flag of the United States was to be treated respectfully and the people and history of other nations were to be presented fairly what's your idea of how you view germans at this time you know what i mean yeah like what is what is fair vulgarity (laughs) uh no capital punishment third degree methods cruelty to children and animals prostitution surgical operations were to be handled with similar sensitivity that's just some of the code that everybody had to adhere to. Now, there's two eras of this code. The first one goes from 1930 to 1934. Um, and that means the code is existing, but it's loopholed. So you can slip through a lot of stuff. Does that make sense? So they're like, guys, here's the list. And things are still somehow sliding Look, by. Just make sure the na- no, murderer's naked or something. I feel like audiences are afraid of being naked. So don't do that. Catholic priests did not like this. They didn't think the code was being enforced. Not only did they not like it, a lot of people that owned these movie theaters were Catholic, uh, and they decided that they didn't like it either, so they were going to organize a boycott. So to appease these angry Catholics, um, Hayes says, listen, the studios now have to adhere to these rules, 
And if they don't adhere to these rules, we're not going to give them a rating and we're not going to give them a license and they will not be allowed to be seen. They have to adhere to these rules. So now in ni- from 19, 1934, we're now in the second era of the code. Second era of the code is going to last from 34 to 66 because this because ma- this is when it's going to now actually be enforced. 32 years. 32 years. So an amendment to the code adopted on June 13th, 1934, established the Production Code Administration. And that required all the films released on or after July 1st, 1934, to obtain a certificate of approval before being released. Okay? So that means, how many years did you say that was? 32 years. So virtually all motion pictures produced in the United States and released by major studios in that time adhered to the code. Now, running this office, does that, so there's Will Hayes, who has the motion picture one, mm. right? And now in that, there's going to be another office that is specifically watching every movie and signing off on it. They need someone to run it, so they're going to bring in a guy named Joseph Breen. He was a newspaper reporter, and this made me laugh hysterically. He was also the publicity director for the Eucharistic Congress, which was a Catholic conference. Oh, my God. And this I thought was so interesting. This is from Liberty Magazine, and they wrote – this is in 1936, and they said that having Breen be the one person – who signs off on every single movie that's seen in the United States, gave him, quote, more influence in standardizing world thinking than Mussolini, Hitler, or Stalin. He had the power to cut, rewrite, edit, and tell producers and directors what worked and what didn't work. So, my friend, from 1934 to 1966, if a movie did not match this guy's standards... Okay. Now, though, because now you have to stay close to the code, now there's going to be some fights that are going on. The first big fight is 1934. There's a movie called Tarzan and his mate that had a naked woman swimming in it that had to get cut out. Don't worry, Breen cut it out personally. In 1943, this one fascinated me. There's a movie called The Outlaws, which featured an actress by the name of Jane Russell, who was known for having very large breasts. And Breen said, I can't release this movie because look at the poster. Her breasts are all over the poster. And the director had to be like, you're not approving the poster. You're approving the movie. So what Breen and Hayes are really doing is they're pushing for wholesome films and films that underlined American greatness. What happens is there's a pushback that happens during the war because American profits of movies are Mm -hmm. down during the war, right? So the only thing that's going to actually make money is sending these American films over to Europe. And the Europeans are finding these films like really antiquated. And like, why is it so pro-America? Where are the boobs? Where are the boobs? And you have to remember at this time, Europe is also much more liberal and much more progressive. So they're going, well, why do we want to, these movies are so like goody two-shoes. Why do we want to watch this? So now there's going to be some pushback. So now the question is, is, well, what can we allow? What can't we allow? In 1945, a guy named Eric Johnson takes over for Will Hayes. Will Hayes retires. He's like, I'm out. Um, Johnson was the president of the Chamber of Commerce. When he comes in, he's going to do a couple of things. The first thing he does is he renames it. He's like, it's now going to be called the Motion Picture Association of America. Oh, that sounds good. Um, he's like, we're going to We're going to cut this down a little bit. Mary, Paul, shut up. Uh, He also creates a new organization called the MPEA. That's the Motion Picture Export Association. And what that does is it promotes American films abroad, 
by opposing production company monopolies in other countries. He removes the British tax on films. So he's trying to like get all of this to start to work. Now, remember that Supreme Court decision back in 1915 when they were like, mm -hmm. movies are not art? In 1952, there's a case called Joseph Burstein, Inc. versus Wilson. And that unanimously overruled the 1915 decision and that held that pictures were entitled to first uh, amendment protection so the new york state board of regents could not ban any so it starts with new york state you can't ban any film and the film that they work on that they use as, as an example is a roberto Ros rosalini film called la amor and that was a very sexual film and so they, the, they were like, hey, what's the problem? And the Supreme Court was like, no, you're absolutely right. So in 1956, this is also the time in Europe when like you have Ingmar Bergman, uh, uh, Federico Fellini over in Japan, Akira Kurosawa. So all of their movies, though, are sexual, they're dark, they're pushing things. And that's what people are like gravitating towards. And the 1950s in terms of theater is also now starting to talk about things that nobody had talked about before. So now movies are looking really antiquated. So they decide in 1956 they're going to loosen the code a little bit. And they're going to say, yeah, we can talk about abortion. We can see narcotics as long as they're within the limits of good taste. The bane of the MPAA's existence at this time is someone that we love. The brain. He's Mr. Freeze. Oh. He's film director Otto Preminger. It's funny. Cool. Bane is also in Batman and Robin. He's another bad guy. Oh, I love that. Otto Preminger was vehemently against this production code, vehemently against censorship. And so he liked to push the limits a lot. And because he was such a successful director, he kind of got away with it. Take a look at some of his films. 1953, The Moon is Blue. That's a movie about a young woman who tries to play two suitors off against each other by claiming she plans to keep her virginity until marriage and it was released without a certificate of approval i could just imagine people going like and my new film blue waffle or my film pink sock i would see pink sock <laughs> just they're like oh, that sounds pretty good they'll never know pretty good the, the fa famous frank sinatra film the man with the golden arm in 1955 which is all about drug addiction and then a movie that i just watched for the first time and it's a, have you ever seen it it's called anatomy of a murder it's fabulous but it's specifically deals with sexual assault. Now, 1960s, times are changing. Theater and literature has changed along with it, but the movie code was hopelessly stuck in the past. And it was clear that the United Kingdom and uh, Asian directors, European directors, were moving forward and pushing the envelope. Now, something happens in 1963. Johnston, the president, he dies. And now there's a, like a three-year search to see who's going to take over for him to be the the new president of the Enter end. Simon Cowell, Enter Randy Simon. Jackson, and Paula Here Abdul. And today, friends, we're going to meet a new character, Jack Valenti, the man who was so far up Lyndon Johnson's ass, he could have been his proctologist. In this version, he's going to be played by Martin Sheen with a Texas accent. Jack Valenti was an ad man. He was, and his his biggest claim to fame was running a clean restroom campaign for gas stations in the 1950s. That's a Valenti. That's a Valenti. Uh, don't shit on that floor. That's a Valenti. <laughs> oh, you can tell that's a Valenti. And he did uh, public relations for the Kennedy-Johnson campaign. But he became really tight with Lyndon Johnson. He was really tight with people in Washington. He was a very effective lobbyist. So Lou Wasserman, who was a big studio head, he appealed 
to Jack Valenti directly and said, we need you to run this organization because you understand the entertainment business and you understand politics. You cleaned up bathrooms, you can clean up Hollywood. Hollywood. And Valenti says, great, I'll do it. 1966, he takes over and there's a bit of a problem because the first film that he runs into with trouble is a film called Deep Throat. Deep Throat. (laughs) Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Ah, Jesus H. Christ. Yes, the opening lines of the play. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was a play that opened on Broadway, I think in 1963. It was a very controversial, shocking play. The themes, the language was very intense. It dealt with incest. It dealt with um, uh, alcoholism. It dealt with murder. It was a very, very dark, startling play. They turned it into a movie. Turned it into a movie with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, who were probably the most successful people of their time. Now, the question then becomes, this movie does not adhere to the code but it's an important piece of art. How the hell? And it's Liz. And it's Liz Taylor. How do we deal with this? Here's just a little scene from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, just so you can hear a sampling of what the language and themes were. If you start in on this other business, Martha, I warn you. I stand warned. Do we really have to go through all this? So anyway, I married the SOB. I had it all planned out. First, he'd take over the history department. Then when Daddy retired, he'd take over the whole college, you know? That was the way it was supposed to be. Getting angry, baby, huh? That was the way it was supposed to be. All very simple. And Daddy thought it was a good idea, too, for a while. Until he started watching for a couple of years. Getting angrier? Until he watched for a couple of years and started thinking that maybe it wasn't such a good idea after all. That maybe Georgie Boy didn't have the stuff. That maybe he didn't have it in him. Stop it, Martha. Like hell I will. You see, George didn't have much push. He wasn't particularly aggressive. In fact, he was sort of a flop. A great, big, fat flop. So that's a sense of what is going on. And today we might go, oh, that's kind of tame. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's jarring. So Valenti goes, oh, shit. Like, this is an important artistic piece. I can't change it. I can't, like, if I change it based on the code, it's not going to work. So he goes, you know what, folks? Code's done. I'm getting rid of the code. The code makes no sense. So he goes, well, what if there was a rating system? And depending on the rating, that would allow consumers to know what content was appropriate for their sensibilities and we're not censoring artists anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a smart idea. Yeah. So he comes up with four ratings initially. First one is G. That means it's suggested for general audiences. Then there's M as in Mary. That is suggest- suggested for mature audiences. Parental discretion is advised. Rated R. That's restricted. Persons under 16 oh. not admitted unless they're accompanied by a parent or an adult guardian. And then finally, X. And that meant persons under 16 are not admitted. This is not a trademark of the MPAA. They can't give it an X rating. They can just say, we don't, we think this movie's pretty bad. And if you want to release it, you have to like give it your own rating. And that rating has to be an X. Um, And it would not get an MPAA certificate. So the three organizations that are serving as the monitoring guiding groups of like what gets what rating is the MPAA, the NATO, which is the National Association of Theater Owners, NATO, NATO, and the International Film Importers and Distributors of America. And the first film to get an X rating is a movie called 
1968, girl on a motorcycle. Tagline, she's always naked under leather. Huh. Yeah. So now it's interesting on this. So it gets an, it's the first movie to get an X rating. It's a Warner Brothers picture, but Warner Brothers releases it under a subsidiary. So that way Warner Brothers isn't associated with it, but they're still getting the profits. Warner Sisters. Warner Sisters. One of the big issues that comes up is, you know what? I'm going to let Jack Valenti speak for himself. Come on in, Jack. Come on in, Jack. Jack, what do you want to tell us? I have Valenti's law, which says if you make a movie that a lot of people want to see, no rating will hurt you. If you make a movie that few people want to see, no rating will help you. Ratings have nothing to do with box office. The difference. That is actually, Mr. Valenti, not very true. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that. In 1970 to 1972, they changed the rating system again. We still have G. Then we have a new one called GP. And that means all ages admitted. Parental guidance is suggested. And sometimes there had to be a disclaimer that would say the film contains material which may not be suitable for pre-teenagers. Then you have R under 17. X once again. No one under 17. From 72 to 84, we still have G, we have PG, we have R. All of that stuff is still there. The most controversial one, I think, is The Exorcist. And The Exorcist is a prime example of what people are saying is the hypocrisy of this rating system. So we all are familiar with The Exorcist, right? It's Have you ever seen it? I actually have never seen The Exorcist. Oh, I will be honest with you. I saw it as a grown man. It's one, I will never watch the movie again. It is so psychologically jarring. The movie comes out in 1972 and uh, this, the movie studio that made it spent a lot of fucking money on it. A lot of money on it. And the uh, MPAA goes to William Freakin, the director, and they go, this is a very important film. And um, we, we will give you an R and you can release it without any cuts. Movie comes out. So what does R mean? Does it mean kids can get in? Yes as long as there's a parent or guardian. So many young kids see this movie and are so disturbed by it. So then the question becomes, how did this movie, how did this not get an X? How did this not get an X rating? And the answer is because who's on the board approving the films? The studio that made it has is, is got a voice on the board. And the people that own the movie theaters that are going to make the most money, they got a voice on the board. Is that the Catholics? If the, uh, yeah, <laughs> ironically. If they, if they give this movie an X, there's going to be no sales. Wow, of course. So that one is like the first one where people are like, come on. They, and they ask, they ask the MPA, they go, what, are your, what is your codification of what qualifies as an X, as an R, as a PG? And they go, we're not, a, we're not at liberty to tell you. We don't have to tell you. I'm Jack Valini. In 1984, Steven Spielberg comes along. I love this story. Indiana Jones. And the Temple of Doom. And the Temple of Doom. And Gremlins, two Spielberg films, because he produced Gremlins, I think. There's some. There's a little bit of controversy, like, what is this movie? Is it, a P, it's, is it PG? Is it R? What is it? What is it? You mean the audiences were thrown off when the guy gets his heart pulled out of his chest and his chest cavity just closes up before he gets put into a lava to burn to death? I, I, I think if it's a PG movie, I think people are going to be a little confused. Oh, no, I'm Shabai. Oh, no, I'm Shabai. So Steven Spielberg says, can we come up with a happy medium? And he comes up with a PG-13, which means it's, it'll be for teenagers. Pretty good for 13-year-olds. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, first movie to be PG-13? Do you know it? Oh, God. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Oh, classic. Now, Valenti, in addition to keeping this rating system going, is also doing a couple of other things, mostly involving copyright. He's the person that's leading the charge of 
you cannot copyright videos. I mean, you can't copy videos and sell them. You can't, you know, use things without giving proper credit or permission. You can't. Do, so he's the one that's like, you know, like you watch an FBI, like you watch an old movie and the FBI thing comes I was, up. I was just going to say, that's is him. Jack, Jack Villainy like, all right. So what else is a crime? Yeah, what else? What else? What else can we do? And he's the one lobbying Washington D.C. for all of this. He was the one that says, "Listen, VCRs are going to kill the movie industry because you're going to play a movie on television. They're going to tape it off of television, and then they're going to repeat it and copy it, and they're going to make money off of it." But Betamax, on the other hand, Betamax is much better. He also demanded, and this got also approved by the government, that um, warnings had to go on all video releases. So now, on when you rented a video, it, it said what the movie rating Jack was. Bel- Lenny approves this. Jack Lenny approves it. 89 and 90 is a really interesting time for the movie rating system because in 1989, Tennessee state law set the minimum age to view a theatrically exhibited R-rated film without adult accompaniment at 18 instead of 17 and categorized the admission of minors to X-rated films as a misdemeanor. Oh, wow. So if you were like some kid and you and you let you let someone in who shouldn't have seen the movie. Congrats, you're going to jail. That only got repealed, my friends, in 2013. So remember, there's this X title, right? Porn was using the X title, and that meant films like Midnight Cowboy and A Clockwork Orange, both masterpieces. Midnight Cowboy winning the Best Picture uh, Academy Award. Both X-rated movies are on the same level as. X-rated films like Debbie Does Dallas and Blondes Do It Best so, Number Three. Clockwork Orange and Midnight Cowboy were rated X. Correct. Wow. They were they were deemed so thematically inappropriate. So, what then starts to happen is is there's two films that emerge. One is called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and the other one is called The Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. These two movies were going to be rated X, and critics. And movie distributors and producers said, listen, this is not pornography. This is not, you know, people just having sex for no reason. There's a story. There's a here. reason. Can we, can we, she doesn't have money to pay for the pizza. Can we create a rating that will allow people to say, to allow people to see this movie and know it's not pornography? Hence, they create NC-17. Enter Nomi Malone. Exactly. And first movie to get the NC-17 rating, Henry and June. This NC-17 rating is going to be the kiss of death. Remember when Jack Valenti was like finances, ratings don't affect finances? Absolutely not the case. If a film is NC-17, movie theaters will not put it into their movie theater because most people can't even see it. So now they're wasting space doing it. Distributors don't want to touch it. It's too controversial for a lot of people. So this, if you have an NC-17 rating, it is the kiss of death. Like, I can only remember one time ever seeing an NC-17 in theaters in, like, my time of going to the movies. And it was Showgirls. Like, I remember that as a kid, like, A, because, you know, I was, you know. Yeah. Oh, cool. Showgirls. But but also just going like NC, like I remember at the time being like thrown off, but never seeing that rating before. And then after that, like being aware of it and just never seeing it again. It doesn't get used a lot. Yeah, that's the. Yeah. It doesn't get used a lot. So as time marches on, filmmakers begin to notice some things like like we talked about before. Why was it that movies that were filled with violence getting PGs, but movies with a few F-bombs or breasts were getting R's? Why was it that a man's ass was PG-13, but a woman's boob was R? Let's not call boobs breasts F-bombs anymore, dude. Okay, cool. I'm sorry. Why did it seem like two different standards for straight 
sex, and gay sex. And how were these movies actually rated? And who was rating these movies? Mm. Well, let's bring on Kirby Dick. Um, He's going to be played uh, by Toby from The Office for us. And his 2006 documentary, this film, is not yet. It's funny. I'm just remembering that I watched this in a film class in in college, and I just remember it because there's that section where they're like, "Who is? Who are these people?" And they fall. I don't know. So that oh yes. sparked me to yeah. I totally um, have watched this movie. Amazing. So here's a little clip from the film. And friends, I encourage you. The whole thing's on YouTube. Go watch it. Here's a clip of them interviewing Matt Stone, South Park, South Park, discussing his experience with the MPAA. Because remember, once you make a film, you have to submit a copy to the MPAA. Somebody watches it. Somebody gives you a rating. Here he is talking about his experiences with it. And I think it's very interesting. Here you go. Orgasmo. When we did Orgasmo, which was completely independently financed, they gave us an NC-17. You know, we got this phone call with the MPAA and the guy would basically say, uh, it's for the overall sexual content. I said, was there anything we can cut out to get an R? Um, You know, you're welcome to recut it and send it back to us, and we'll certainly look at it again. And their whole position was, when we did this film, was we don't give specific notes, because then we'd be a censorship organization. We just give you the rating. And cut to five years later, we're doing the South Park movie, and now we're working for Paramount's big studio. And we turned in the first cut of the movie, and we get a phone call, and uh, you got an NC-17. Well, he needed to cut out this, this, change this to this, 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 and it was extremely specific. This word, this line, this joke. So our treatment was was a completely different experience. Ay, ay, ay. And in, in Mr. Kirby's research, here's what he found out. He's like, can I find out who these people are? And they say, we don't disclose the name of the people that rate the movies because we want them to be... Um, uh, away from any sort of influence or pressure from from individuals. So, but we can tell you the people rating the films are ordinary families uh, <laughs> or parents with young children, and they only serve five to seven year terms. Okay, the star of this movie is a woman named Becky. Becky is a private investigator that Kirby Dick hires to find out. Who is actually part of the MPAA? Who is rating these actual films? The detective work she does in this movie is fucking epic. I don't want to give anything away. I just want you to watch this movie on YouTube to see her work. And here is what they find out. A couple of things. One, most of the people did have kids that were in their mid-20s or 30s. Um, There was no diversity on the panel. Uh, except I think one woman who was Asian. Uh, one man was an aspiring screenwriter. Oh, good. Studio heads were in regular communication with these people to say what was asked to uh, what was asked to them. Uh, independent studios had a harder time than mainstream studios, like you just heard yeah. with the Orgasmo versus South Park at Paramount. Violence would often get a PG thirteen, but sex was always an R. They served much longer than these five to seven year terms. Um, they had to all sign NDAs saying they could never discuss what their time was like. Two people break the NDAs in the movie that, that he interviews. And they say it's very fascinating because not only were they in constant contact with people from the studios, they were then starting to take on artistic editor- editorials. And they were like, they should cut this scene. And then they would watch the cut version to rewrite it. And they would go, oh, it flows so much better now. You didn't take out the lens flare. You didn't take out the lens flare. That's a problem. And what is the system? Guess what? There is no system. No system. Everything is done on gut instinct. 
It's not like if you have three fucks, that qualifies as an R. Depends on how they're feeling that day. Some people don't even give two fucks. I mean, don't even give two fucks. Now, if your movie does, you know, gets a rating you don't want, you can appeal the rating and you have a meeting. You don't, you're not. Maybe. You're not, maybe. You're not introduced to anybody. You don't know who they are. Uh, And that's also the genius of Becky in this film. And there's always a clergy member there. So that way it's always above board. In this movie, what's interesting is the appeals board is all men. It's all men. There's no women on the appeals board section of all of this. What I find so interesting about this particular film, this film is not yet rated, is Jack Valenti was a huge advocate. Like we talked about, no copying, no copying. The MPAA copied this movie and gave it to all their people to review it. So they literally broke their own laws. <sighs> they literally broke their own rules. Valenti's uh, law. Valenti's law. What I find so interesting, what infuriated me so much is there's no codification. It's literally gut instinct. And once again, it's like, they're like, oh, well, it's average family members on there. How many gay people are on there? Well, I was gonna. Well, I, I was gonna say what. What is, is an their average family? Of their f- average family. Yeah, exactly. That was the it's, first thing I thought when you said that. It's white straights. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. white straights. It's, it's so the movie brilliantly, my friends, brilliantly explores how these movies get rated, and what we're really looking at, I think, is a reiteration of this Catholic narrative. So you go all the way back to the Catholic Church at the beginning of all of this, back in the 1920s, saying this is what morality is this is what america should be and from that point on that's the films that get distributed those are the mainstream films this film is not yet rated never received a rating from the mpa i was gonna actually ask that so you know they're able to go look at some like it hot look at like it's look at psycho so there there is an ability to still get your movie out there it's just going to be a million times harder because you're going against the narrative of what the church wants you to listen to why are there not so many like gay movies why are there not so many movies that show america in a negative why 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 it's probably because the board of the mpaa doesn't want to go with it now in 2020 they did adopt some new rules and now it is codified that like if you do have it you, you can you really can only serve this number of years if you're um once you're like your youngest child turns like 18 you have to leave the board so they've now codified all of that and that's all available on the mpa website I can't lose this job i need you to tell them that you're still 18 okay can you help me pick up my retirement check <laughs> uh but folks watch this brilliant movie so ray what ended up for me at least or what started for me being a thing that i was like oh yeah, okay it's a rating system this thing is so fascinating to me because for a hundred years the standards of the of the of the Catholic religion are really the standards of that of what we know as movies today, mm-hmm. and I find that fascinating. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it on after our break. This break is not yet rated. Oh, you're funny. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now this is a sketch. Mr. Wells, thank you for coming in today. Please, call me Orson. Orson? Call me Richard. <laughs> Richard, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. <laughs> Shakespeare, Richard III, Act 5, Scene 4. Incredible, lovely Orson. God. Now, I, I know you're busy, mm. but we received the rating on Citizen Kane, and uh, they're asking for some changes. Mm. 
I'm not a fan of censorship, Mr. Jones. But I am open to hearing ideas. I'm so glad to hear that. It'll make it easier for the studio. Now, the opening of the movie. Mm. We, let's let's start there. Mm-hmm. Now, Kane is dying. Yes. And he drops the snow globe. It shatters. Yes. And then there's the close-up of his mouth. Yes. And he mutters his dying words. Mm. Sweet-ass pussy. Yes, you see, Kane is based on William Randolph Hearst, and he used to tell everyone that how much he loved sweet-ass pussy. I'm sure the ratings board would not want me to distort the truth. No, 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 but, but, but uh, you see, Mr. Wells, it's it's just crude and offensive. I can say it in Latin. No, 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 no. Dolce asinium pussy. No, see, you see, the uh, root word's still uh, pussy there. Mm, now, you see, the mention of the woman's sexuality is a major point into this film. It's not some commonplace object like a sled. It has meaning. You know, if you can show me how to make it something other than that, I'll go down on you. Mm, interesting uh, proposition. But mm. uh, could it be something more subliminal? Maybe, I don't know, meta- metaphorical? Mm. We love metaphors here. Yes, fine. Yes, I think I can. Well, what about uh, if the snow globe drops close up on his mouth and we hear his dying words, VJJ? No, no, uh, no. Penis fly trap. No. Front butt. Oh, God. Lady garden. No. Whispering eye. Whispering, no. Ah, winking whispering eye. That's a little bit better. Uh, Minnie the coocher. Nah, that's too topical. Beef curtains. Ooh, nah. Panty hamster. No. Ah, Marie Dressler's lockbox. I don't know if that's legally possible. Mm, no, let me think for a moment. Um, yes. Ah, what if it was the act of doing something to it? As opposed to the it itself. Orson. Mm, chewing the sheaf at. That's disgusting. Clam jousting. That might work in New England. Mm, box lunch at the Y. Oh, God. Dinner beneath the bridge. No. French kissing Mr. Lincoln. Oh, God, too political. Ah, opening Marie Dressler's lockbox. That's still, that's a, that's a legal. Uh, Orson, can we just circle back to this tomorrow? That's a good idea. I, feeling a little cranky as my last meal was two minutes ago. Why don't you join me and Marie Dressler at my favorite restaurant? Oh, uh, which one? Rosebud. What was, I could hear you clearly up until that very last thing. What'd you say? I'm sorry, I had a chicken bone stuck in my throat. Oh. Rosebud. It's on Melrose and Vine. We gotta get some new chefs in that commissary. (laughs) Ah, that's the truth. (sighs) Thank you. This was a sketch. So, friends, that is a look at the rating system known as the MPAA rate. Do you have any questions for me? I'm sorry if I've rattled on, but it was one of those things where it literally kept surprising me every single time. Has there ever been talks of a, a pot? Like, were they ever like, oh, we may need to add another rating? You know what I mean? Like, has there ever been like the like the meetings of should we add another rating at some point i'm gonna actually play a clip right now from siskel and ebert um because the ebert especially was a proponent of something called an a rating which was specifically saying like adult themes are involved here's a little clip of that it's an irony that mad slasher movies like the friday the 13th series routinely get an r rating from the mpaa and played a millions of teenagers anyone who can find that legendary 18 year old adult guardian to go in with them but let an artistic film come along that really sincerely considers the subject and it's banished by the MPAA to that ghetto between the R and the X so that most theater chains are afraid or legally prevented from booking it. This film deserves to be seen. And you know, this must be the only civilized country on earth that doesn't believe there's such a thing as an adults-only movie, a movie that is unsuitable for people under 17. We have the R, which is a joke, very loosely enforced, 
and then everything else is allegedly hardcore pornography. There's nothing in between. And do you know why they won't pass an A rating? I'll tell you why. It's because the A rating would have to be enforced, and they would have to look at somebody holding money at the ticket counter and say, right. no, we won't take your money. And the MPAA and the theater owners are too gutless to do that. And so what we have are pictures like this being punished as a result. Well, I, I think you're right. To and the issue then ran into the same thing with what Jack Valenti was saying. What are you really talking about? Like, how do you even like codify what's an adult theme? And it sort of just went back into the same loop. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the R is the same. No, oh, yeah. The same idea. And so the, my, my question for you, actually, and, our, and to our listeners as well, it does this rating system, does it do its job effectively? And once again, we talked about censorship. They, the MPAA is very clear they don't do censorship. That's very clear. They say we don't censor anything. My question is, is, do you think it is censorship? They're saying, listen, you can do whatever the hell you want with the movie. We just can't give you a seal of approval. Is that censorship? I think it isn't. I mean, yes, it is censorship, I think. But I also feel like movies that gets R ratings nowadays would never have even made it past, you know, maybe first round. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I feel like they are a little bit more lenient nowadays. Um, I don't necessarily think ratings are a bad thing, but then it also gets into, you know, when when things are subjective, what... You know, why is this person make why is this person deciding that I that, you know, like me as a 13 year old can't, you know, need a parent to go see it? You know what I mean? Like I've seen someone drink beer and smoke a cigarette before, so that's not going to throw me off. But I don't know. Enough about my grandma. (laughs) Um, Do you do you think that the MPAA should release one, the names of the people who rate the movies? And two, do you think they should say, hey, listen, this is the codified system, which is. Three fucks, regardless regardless of context, that's a PG thirteen. I think I think system should be released. I mean, look, would it be would it be nice to have an open, you know, board? You know, like showing the board. Yes, but also releasing people's names nowadays is like the worst. It could be to end up being the worst thing. So you know, see what I couldn't figure out is when they, I said I, I I understood the idea. Oh, they, they don't they want to they don't want to be part of, of of being influenced. Like I get that. But they are being, there aren't constant communication. No, yeah, exactly. With these people. So, in a way, they are being no, yeah, influenced, and still influenced and charmed and whined and dying. And it's just, it's one of those things where I feel like releasing the names now, like if a movie got an R rating and it offended some group of people, oh, then, sure, sure, you know, sure, sure. Then that, because that person's name's out there, like they, they, there should absolutely be a set of rules yeah. released. Because here's the thing then a filmmaker can go into it knowing like what's going to at least make my life easier in post-production. Yes, yes. Um, I and, and like I said, I think it's also kind of unfair that they, they attack the independent films they, a little bit harder because I think those are not the films that are, that's the competition. No, yeah. That's the competition. Yeah. Folks, watch the film. This film is not yet rated. Like I said, it's all on YouTube. It's all free. Kirby Dick has done a brilliant and amazing job. Props to Becky. Uh, let me know, let us know your thoughts about the rating system. And uh, What's your favorite rating? M for Mark. Oh! This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Now, Mark, I said this in the episode, but do you know who is responsible for the PG-13 rating? Steven Spielberg. Do you know why? Because his Temple of Doom was getting a rating R. Very good. There was, yeah, 
because it was there was just it, nothing it, in between. Yeah, nothing in between. I, I that always fascinated me. Yeah. Did you get in trouble if you ever saw like an R-rated movie? Like, were there certain movies you could not watch as a kid? It was pretty loose. My parents actually they didn't monitor that stuff too closely. The ratings they just weren't aware of. I was watching a lot of things really early on that were above what I should be watching just because they didn't have the concept of what was. They knew the bad stuff, like, hey, you shouldn't be watching uh, the horror movie of that thing. But there was a lot of stuff I like, well, action movies that they just, okay. oh, this is it's fine. about girls in a show. <laughs> I got a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What can go wrong? It's like uh, going to Vegas. But the thing I know the MPAA for the most is like hacking and slashing the artistic work of American filmmakers. Yes. Right? That's yes. the thing they always get the most pissed about Amen. is their work is, is fucking chopped I up. I can't by tell them. you how many mise-en-scenes are cut out because of these. I'm trying to tell a story and you're hacking shit up. I've seen so many documentaries about films that have had major MPAA notes. And it always makes me laugh because it's like unapologetically they have to describe, they send like a, a memo or a fax or something about what well, the violence and the sexuality that they feel needs to be cut. And they just have no ego about it. It's like, this has to come out. This goes. So we're going to give you some examples of MPAA notes in a little game called Viewer Discretion Advised. Oh. I'm going to describe 10 popular American films by describing certain scenes in the movie that likely got heavily noted by the MPAA for either sexuality or violence. So I'm basically going to be describing scenes from movies, popular okay. movies. Got it. You're going to compete against each other, see who can name the film first. Okay. And the person who gets the most correct gets a wide theatrical release. Oh. The loser is going to end up on the cutting room floor. Oh, boy. So let's see who can do I it. need this. Here's 10. Ready? Remove severing of arm. Cut down the prolonged machine gun death. Toxic waste melting needs to be trimmed. Uh, would that be Roger Rabbit? No. You got the R right. Rambo? Ronan. No, it is Robocop. Oh. It's a Robocop. Very classic violent movies. I think violent movies and, yeah. Trim excessive female nudity in opening scene. Delete close-up of ice pick stabbing. Uh, 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 basic instinct. That's correct. Way too much blood throughout. Remove close-up of ear being sliced off. Uh, Reservoir Dog. Are That's you there, correct. God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> oh, my God. Prison rape scene is excessive. Remove curb scene altogether. Uh, American History X. That's correct. Yeah, it's correct. Must remove bladed strap-on insert. Delete close-up of severed head and box. Seven? Yes. Rob, you can don't let him do all the heavy lifting here. <laughs> you can chime in if you want. Yeah, you can play. Trim shot of bloody hand after fingers are shot off. Blood is too red in final shootout. Please adjust pigment. Someone gets their fingers shot off? I know this one. Goodfellas? Closing in. Get warm. That's pretty warm. Pretty warm guess. A little farther off. That's taxi driver. They, oh, yeah. Oh. They finally did adjust the... They made it more pink. It was a real really? PA note there. They said it has to be bloody, but you can't. It's too red, too real. Trim close-up of erect penis in gym sock. Delete sequence of character thrusting atop Kitchen Island. American, American Pie. That is correct. Trim murder suicide by gun scene. Prosthetic penis shot at end can stay in. Uh, oh, uh, Boogie, Boogie Nights. Nights. Yes. Minimize the number of pistol whips. Delete close-up of kitchen knife trunk stabbing. Would that be Goodfellas? That's Goodfellas. What was the first one again? Minimize the number of pistol whips. Ah, yes, 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 okay. Trim a few seconds off the throat slitting scene. Delete close-up of character cutting through leg. 
Saw? Yes, that's Saw. Oh, was it really? Yeah. I think you nailed all these. I didn't. Oh, that's right. Sorry, this was a competing game. You're yeah. done, Rob. You're yeah, cutting. Was, you're you're going to be on the what DVD would, extras at best. What? Like, what would the original cut of, like, a Saw film be? Like, after MPAA? Like, I've only uh, seen, like, Saw 3, and it was because I was, like, at my cousin's house, and I was like, oh, oh the worst. Your gross. cousin's house is the worst place yeah. to watch I'm like, Saw. oh, yeah, I look cool. Yeah, let's watch Saw 3. Sure. Mm. Yeah, mm. you just rented it? Yeah. Fuck. Like, I don't... Uh, yeah, this is gnarly so parts. Popular. The hostel movies are real super like, gnarly. I, that stuff I'm not into. The body the horror stuff, stuff I'm not into. Centipede as a joke I watch because it's so absurd, but even that's kind of like, you have to laugh at it. Oh, I don't want to see any of that. But stuff. yeah, but the stuff, the torture porn is, is pretty rough. But <laughs> as to mouth in a centipede, come on. I mean, I can insane. see the humor in that. Ugh. Speaking of torture porn, Ray, tell them where they can find us. Uh, that would be This Was a Thing Pod on Instagram. The greatest. Uh, you got all the new rigs for just uh, torture. I don't know. Not really. Changing Any, straps. Or www.thiswasathing.com. It's our website. Yep. yep. And Mark is showing us Come some on, of give the give me st- your wrist. What? Give me your wrist. Oh, boy. Okay. Just Hold on. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's tight. And uh, Patreon. Oh, boy. Okay. Give me an ankle. There's me a key, ankle. right? Give me an ankle. Okay. Patreon.com. Uh, cool. Then you're going to go with This Was a Thing. Old Lucy Level. Wow. That is really tight. Old Lucy Level. Okay. $5 a month. Rob, and you get exclusive content. Give me your ear. Exclusive content. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 